welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Carly Guyman. And I'm Shailen Back. We're your co-hosts. Today, we're so excited to have Sister Ruth Todd here with us. Ruth, thank you so much for making the time to be here with us today. Oh, it is my pleasure. I am so glad to be with you. It's really fun to meet you. I've listened to you on the podcast and all of your great guests, and so I just feel honored to be here. Well, we're honored Thank to have you. you. We've mm-hmm. listened to you, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was the voice of gloom and doom, right? Death and destruction <laughs> on the 10 o'clock news, right? Well, yeah, many of our listeners may recognize Ruth Todd from her 25 years as a television news anchor and a reporter throughout the U.S. And then currently, she's a senior vice president of global public affairs for a health and wellness company. And then she also served as a church spokesperson in the public affairs department of the church and now is currently serving as a member of the Young Women General Advisory Council which was formerly called the Young Women General Board. And Ruth, you're just coming to us today with so much experience and so many different perspectives, and we've just been really looking forward to talking to you. So thanks again. Well, thank you for having me. We almost feel like the roles should switch, that you should be interviewing us, but hopefully our (laughs) interview skills are up to snuff. We wouldn't have as much to share (laughs) on the other side. but I'm sure that's not true, but I will say I'm much more comfortable in your seat than my seat. (laughs) I, I much prefer asking the questions than answering them, but... It doesn't matter. I'm but happy. Thanks to be for here. being willing. Absolutely. Yep. So, as Shaylin shared, you have a wealth of professional experience from broadcasting to working for the church to now working in a corporate role. And with those broad and varied experiences, we'd love to hear some of the highlights. Like Shaylin said, you're known and loved by many people, and we'd love to hear some of the lessons learned, some of the highlights from your experiences. Well, I started right out of BYU. I had gone through their broadcast journalism program. And my first job was right here in Salt Lake City at one of the local news stations and just worked here for a year before my husband and I moved to Phoenix. And I'm from Phoenix. I'm an Arizona girl. And that was really fun because I actually knew a lot of people there. And my mom and dad could watch me on the news. (laughs) And so I worked there for the ABC station. And then my husband's job moved us to Washington, D.C. And we had never lived on the East Coast. So we thought, let's go have an experience. And we easily could have stayed there forever. We absolutely loved Washington, D.C. And of course, the world news was right there in our local market. Yeah, local news was really world news. So it was really fun fun, and I worked with some of the best people. I learned from some of the Mm -hmm. finest journalists in the country at that time, and that was really my great benefit. Anyway, we lived there for about six years, and we came back here for a job, and that was when I came back to where I started and and anchored the news in Salt Lake City and ended up doing the 10 o'clock news here for about 15 years. What led you to then work for the church after that? So after my news stint, I actually started teaching as an adjunct teacher on the BYU faculty, so I was Really back where I started. (laughs) And it was so much fun to be with those incredible students. And they were so much better than I had been at that same stage. I mean, they really, they had done a lot more in their lives. And they understood the service piece. And they spoke languages. And they had traveled a lot of places to do interesting things. And then they brought all that experience and even a young 20-something and brought that to their journalism hat in, you know, in the lens through which they looked. So I got to teach there in their journalism, and it was a ton of fun. And I think somehow in my comings and goings at BYU, I got a call one day from Church Public Affairs, and that's how I ended up. They called me up, and I started working. I think that they had me come up because it was busy. It was a really busy time. Uh, we had 
two members of the church that ran for president of the United States. There was the Book of Mormon musical that came out on Broadway. We had the missionary age change and that, you know. Increased missionaries. Totally. And really, when we had Mitt Romney and John Huntsman running for president, the world was so interested. There was hardly a day where there wasn't somebody either calling or coming from Poland, Argentina, Peru. They would send news crews to the church headquarters because they wanted to know if Mitt Romney becomes president, what does that mean the for the country mm-hmm. and for the world and all those things? So we had a, a steady stream of journalists from all around the world that came here to Salt Lake City because they wanted to try to understand. So it was really wow. a wonderful opportunity because people were coming and they were truly curious. Who are you? What are you about? What do you believe? How does your belief system inform how you live your life and how might it inform how somebody is the president. It was really a great time to be in public affairs. So much going on. Mm -hmm. A very exciting time, but also very challenging time. But good challenges, it sounds like. (laughs) Really good challenges. I met interesting people, fascinating people, capable, really brilliant in their careers. And so many times they were very different. They had a completely different belief system Mm -hmm. than, than we did. But I learned about bridge building And I learned about extending a hand of friendship and receiving a hand of friendship. We had amazing experiences. Uh, One of the teams that I worked on was interfaith outreach. And that was so impactful for me. We got to set up meetings with influencers. Now, we use the word influencer all the time for social media. But even several years ago at that time, we didn't talk about it quite the same way we do now, but we would look at the schedules of our church leaders and see where they were going around the world. And then we would identify people that maybe we should build a bridge with. Connect them with. with. Mm -hmm. Yes, and connect them with. And then we would reach out to them, their their people, their staff. And, you know, it's the old, my people will get in touch with your people. Yeah, well, we were this people. You know, we were over here on this side. And we set up uh, meetings for leaders of our church that really did move the needle as far as building those bridges and building those relationships. And as we look now, I think about the wisdom in all of those early steps that were taken years ago. And now here we are having to band together to protect religious freedom Or here we are with these friendships where we know we have each other's back, and we know that as people of faith, we have far more in common than we have different. Mm -hmm. And so that was really fun. I'll tell you about one. We had some Baptist pastors that were from Northern California, and we had invited them to come to visit the church and see what we were about. And they had turned us down multiple times. And finally, we got them to agree to come, and we wanted to show them around Welfare Square, and we had partnered with them on the Just Serve initiative, and we had done the Thanksgiving dinner. So we provided the turkeys and some of the food, and they did the distribution. Mm -hmm. So they had all these, I think, several hundred congregations in their, I'm not sure the word, but in their parish or in Mm -hmm. their their area Mm -hmm. that they were responsible for. And so we would provide the food and they would distribute it. And it was such a great partnership that we did it again at Easter and did hams instead of turkeys. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. And so we built this friendship with these wonderful Baptist members, and they were just great. And so they finally said, yes, we'll come and be your guests in Salt Lake City. So they came and they brought their spouses, and they were just the most, oh, you just would love to meet them because they're the most 
spirit-filled, mm-hmm. light-filled, God-loving people. And they were blown away by what the welfare program is like. Sure. And we took them to the humanitarian center, and they loved that. And they loved the idea that we are trying to help people with self-reliance and all of those principles that we sort of take for granted because we've kind of heard them for many, many years in our church. But then we took them to the Christmas concert. And if that wasn't the cherry on top. <laughs> just blew them away. Know, and, they, and they said, you do believe in the same Jesus that we do. And how can you not stand in front of the Christus and mm-hmm. feel that? And we stood in front of the Christus and had a great conversation about the Savior and how we all love him and believe his promises and hope to live again because of his resurrection and atoning mm-hmm. sacrifice in our behalf. And so it was really a wonderful experience. That was just one little thing. We had many experiences. We had imams come from mosques in different parts of the country. We had members of the Jewish community come. We have great relationships because of many years of outreach where they've gotten to know us and we've gotten to know them. And again, like I say, We have a lot in common, and Mm -hmm. we have a lot in which we need to work together. And then that's so important to see that happening on this larger scale, you know, this bridge building between religious organizations. But then we can totally apply that to our everyday life, you know, the importance of bridge building with anyone who has different beliefs than us, our neighbors, the people that Mm -hmm. we work with. I don't know, as you were talking, I was trying to apply that to Mm -hmm. my experience. I think we need to, and I think that we are richer for it. Mm -hmm. And conversely, we're poorer if we don't do that. Mm -hmm. And when you said, like our neighbors, well, of course our neighbors. The outreach needs to be all-encompassing for what we do. Mm -hmm. That's how you build strong communities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and what I just think about is there's like a warmth and a spirit and real love that you feel when you engage, whether that's with other faith leaders or whether it's really connecting with your neighbors. And like you said, we are richer when we Mm -hmm. put ourselves out there a little bit or go out on a limb a little bit to connect with other people. So I love that that got to be a part of your work. I think what I really learned is that I have so much to learn by getting out of my own little echo chamber, Mm -hmm. my own little comfort zone. I mean, to listen to people of other faith or people of no faith at all, Mm -hmm. you know, who have been on their own journey, to listen to their experience is to learn to love them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that I learned that I need to get out of my own space a little bit because I grow and I learn and There's so much out there to learn from others. Well, thank you so much for sharing. And speaking of learning, this is something about you that I just think is so neat that you recently got your MBA from Brigham Young University. And I just want to know more about what led you to that That decision decision. to go back Mm -hmm. to school. In my 50s? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Yep. Tell us about it. (laughs) Well, I have always been curious. If you talk to my mom, she's just turned 86. She will tell you I always asked questions. And, and then I you got ask, into a professional. Well, and I would ask follow-up <laughs> questions. And she said, you know, sometimes I just didn't want you to ask why anymore. <laughs> why? And so I think I've always been curious. I came curious, I think. Fast forward to why I went to business school. I was working for this company, and the company is publicly traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And here I'd had this long career in journalism. I love words. I love crafting words. I love telling stories and all that. But there was financial literacy that I just did not have, and I felt like I needed that to do my job well. And so I went to my CEO, and I said, I'm thinking of this, and would you be supportive of me? Because it would take some time away from work, and he was 
fantastic, and he said he thought it would be great. And I love the fact that he didn't think I was too old, that there was still value in sending me. Mm -hmm. And so I just graduated last June during COVID. We didn't really graduate. (laughs) I got my degree and I got my my certificate, my degree in the mail. But I had just the most amazing experience with my class. I always say I went to school with my children's friends because they are (laughs) the age of my children. But they were just the most amazing people in that class. And my professors, I I was so fortunate to just be in that cohort. And I can't believe it's over. And I can't believe I was so lucky to go. And I loved every minute of it. Maybe some of the statistics I didn't love. But, (laughs) you know, some of the harder things. But... 99.9%. 99.9%. How's that? You for loved it. Great. I loved That's it. That's hard yeah. for us word people. That would be a struggle for me. One of my professors said, oh, this is easy. Just go back to your high school math. And I was like, you mean 40 years ago? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's not helpful. So I hired a tutor and Heather taught me math and I learned all the algebra that I had forgotten in the ensuing years that I had never used as a journalist. Not much anyway. And so I got better at math again. So mm-hmm. it was really fun. There was so much that I loved about this. I love that you said you were in this position. You knew that something was missing from all the experience that you had. You were like, this would make me better. So I'm just loving that, that it's like you could do that in any area Mm -hmm. of your life, at any time in your life. Just Mm -hmm. kind of figure out what What you need to learn or what can Mm -hmm. help you be a little bit better. And then you got a tutor. It's just like you just do what you got to do. I loved that. There's so much to learn. And, you know, look Mm -hmm. around you. Take your pick. You can learn one million things. Mm -hmm. and. And it's kind of a joyous experience and process. Yeah. Well, and it's it's so cliche, but it's like there isn't a time in your life when you can or can't learn. Never. Or and a way that you can or, or can't way. learn. There's mm-hmm. so many ways. Well, and as we're talking about all of these things that you're involved with, I'm sure we have many listeners, and myself included, just wondering how you've been able to balance your careers, your church service, like moving. I know you have five children and eight grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And how have you managed your family and and education? And we would just love to hear any advice you have from what Mm -hmm. you've learned in your life. First of all, I will have eight grandchildren at the end of the summer. Soon to be eight. Yes, yes, I have six and I have two little grandsons on their way. So Yay. I will have seven grandsons and Isabel <laughs> <laughs> at the end of the summer. And they're just the joy of my husband's and my life. It's just so great. Um, balance. Well, that's an interesting thing because you know you each have little children. And sometimes you just, well, all the time you just do the best you can. I remember coming home from the 10 o'clock news. And it would be about, you know, 1130 or so. And I'd come in the house and it was quiet. And I had twins at the end. So I had five kids, eight and under. All of a sudden, you know, it was just really, really busy there for a few years. And so I'd come in and the house would be quiet. And I'd think, oh, I could get the laundry done and no one would knock over my piles. (laughs) Yes. And so I'd kind of get a second wind sometimes and I'd get stuff done at night. And then sometimes you'd get the big kids out the door to school. And sometimes I'd take a nap with the baby if, you know, if I needed to just sort of catch up. I think you do the best you can and you know that you're falling short all the time, but you just try to cut yourself some slack. I wish young moms, I wish old moms would cut themselves slack. Mm -hmm. You're doing a lot better than you think you are. No one is perfect. When it comes to balancing, for me, I'm past the little kids now. I did that and got everybody to school and threw all, you know, Valentine boxes and Halloween costumes and, you know, working in the schools. (laughs) And I was the lunch lady on Tuesdays. And those are all in my past now. But there are still things to balance. I thought I would just have all this free time and I don't. But I think for me, and it has been this way my entire life, and that is if we put the gospel first, if we remember that scripture, seek ye first the kingdom of God. 
I truly believe that things fall in their proper place, not always easily and not always beautifully. Life's messy. We all know that. But I think that if you kind of can have your spiritual life on track-ish, you're never perfect because there's always room to grow and places you need to get spiritually. But I think that if you are trying there first, that it gives you enlightenment in the rest of the areas of your life. If I am off kilter spiritually, then it's really hard for me to be on in almost any other thing. But if I kind of feel like I'm doing my best, then I feel like I can kind of manage the other things. And then you just try not to let the most important things fall through the cracks. What does that look like for you, putting the gospel first? I think what that means is that you live true to your values, that you don't compromise on the important things. Of course, we make mistakes. Of course, we have to repent every day. What a great gift that is. Mm -hmm. But that you stay square with the Lord and that you are true to yourself. And then you try to do what things, what extra things will help get you and keep you where you want to be. So that's prayer. I mean, these are the basic things, but I don't know if you ever do this, but sometimes I just need to pray out loud. So I will be alone in my car, and I'll just have a conversation with my Heavenly Father. And sometimes when I have those conversations, I feel really close. I feel like He listens, and He's hearing me, and I'm pouring my heart out to Him. And those are important things to center me and make sure that I feel like I'm trying to put God first in my life. I think it's been a huge blessing to me that I wake up accountable to Heavenly Father every day. And I think all people of faith have this great blessing in their lives, that they wake up accountable to a higher power, and it absolutely informs how you live your life. That's been very helpful for me. Of course, there are a million things you can do provide service and always looking for ways to be the hands of heaven on earth around your neighborhood or at your workplace or in your community, in your family, in your extended family, all those things. And then scripture study. There are just all these things, classes. When I had time, there was a short time in my life that I was able to go to an institute class, and it was the thing I looked forward to every week. And, you know, I had a marvelous teacher teaching us about the gospels, and I'd come home on that evening and I'd sit there at the kitchen table, and during dinner, I'd say, you have to hear what I learned today. Those things have stayed with me, and they have kind of helped me. I think we layer our spiritual learning through the years in different experiences and in different ways. When Mm -hmm. you have time for different things, right? right. Certainly different church callings offer you different things. Mm -hmm. You're not going to have the same experience if you are the Cub Scout leader, which I have been, (laughs) as when you are teaching gospel doctrine, which I've done. So they're both wonderful. They're both ways to serve in the kingdom. Mm -hmm. You absolutely have stewardship over different audiences. They're both equally great, but you learn different things. And you kind of can layer that spiritual learning through all the chapters of your life. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful concept because I think sometimes it is overwhelming to think like, oh, there's so many things I should be doing or Mm -hmm. could be doing. So I appreciate you sharing that just about what's kind of worked throughout your life. Well, and I think of what you said about COVID's help people with their scripture study. And it's like, my scripture study has been a wreck in COVID. (laughs) Yeah, because you have a brand new baby. I have a baby. I have, yeah. (laughs) But it's good to remember, it's like these different experiences are teaching us in different ways. And I know I have never learned so much about patience in my whole life. Well, and of it's course. teaching me in a different way. Yeah. I remember the stake president came over when I was 
had all those little kids. And I just had the twins, and they made a visit. I think they were actually visiting my husband, but he looked at me, and I'm sure I just looked <laughs> exhausted. In fact, I know I looked exhausted because we had some calls to the news station that asked if I was sick. Did I have something? And they said, no, she's just back from her twin maternity leave. She had twins. (laughs) And and the viewer on the line said, well, she's got those dark, dark circles (laughs) under her eyes. And so I was just wondering if she's sick. And I was like, no, just, you know, lots of little kids. But the stake president came over, and I think he could tell that I was just tired. And he said, how are things going? And I said to him, I'm so sorry. I haven't gone to stake temple night in X amount of times or ward temple night. I said, I'm just not getting there. And he said, you'll get there. Don't put so much pressure on yourself that you have to go. These little children need you. There are times and seasons for you to be at the temple more, and this is the season for you to be here with these kids. And it was like somebody lifted a weight off my Mm, shoulders for him to say that to me, for my ecclesiastical authority Mm -hmm. to say, you're not a bad person because you're not supporting the stake and war temple nights. You know, go if you can go, go when you can go. But look, who needs you now? The Lord would have you right here mm-hmm. raising these kids and, and being around them. So I think that we have to do that for each other. And, you know, if there's a way you know somebody that's struggling, go hang out with their kids and let them go because that's going to the temple is really such a lift. Mm-hmm. You know, that's yeah. the other side of that. So, Ruth, you've had these amazing experiences and work opportunities, but they've changed, right? And with that, your identity probably changed. You were a broadcaster, and then you were working for the church, and then you weren't. And I know some women worried about their identity being tied to something or feeling like they don't have an identity Mm -hmm. because they don't have something that they're maybe doing or signed up for. And I'm wondering how you stayed connected to who you really were Mm -hmm. despite of titles or despite what you were doing. Or no titles. Or no title. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's something women really feel, and more so now than ever. I've heard women say, I feel like unless I'm doing something besides taking care of my family or besides my little job, Mm -hmm. you know, that Mm -hmm. I don't have much of an identity or value. Oh, titles are funny, aren't they? Because the world can give them to you, but the world can take them right back, or you age out of them, or you graduate from them, Mm -hmm. or switch over to something else. I think the trick on that is to align your identity with a title that never goes away. And for me, that is, I am a daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and an eternal destiny. And you know what? The world can never take that away from me. That is mine forever. And just knowing in this tumultuous world that heavenly father loves his daughters, it's empowering. And if you really stop and think about it, wherever you are right now, whether you are a son or daughter of God, I want you to just let heaven distill on your shoulders and know that Heavenly Father loves you, His child. I can't think of a title I'd rather have. And it's more than enough. Oh. Right? It's <laughs> it's everything. Yeah. So, Ruth, that's a nice segue into talking about your involvement right now in the Young Women. And as Shaylin mentioned, you've been serving on the Young Women General Advisory Council during kind of a unique time. You were called when COVID began last year, and we'd love to have you tell us about your service there, what you've learned, what you've been reminded of, mm-hmm. some of your responsibilities. Well, it has been such a blessing to meet, get to know, and now serve with some of the finest women I've ever known in my life. They're just amazing. I was the last one called this last summer, right during covid So some of our meetings have been on Zoom, 
We've tried to meet as often as we can, socially distanced and wearing masks, but we haven't been able to do some of the in-person things that I think that the board has done, certainly with this board, but also in years past. But one of the really interesting things that I love is one of my assignments on the board is that I am the young women liaison to the young men board. And I think this is the first time that this has ever happened, but President Lund, who is the general young men president, talked to Sister Corden, and she agreed that it would be very helpful to have a woman's perspective on the young men board. Brilliant. A mother's, <laughs> pers- a mother's perspective, a woman's perspective. And so President Lund asked if somebody could come over, and, and I am that person that gets to liaise there on the young men general board. And lucky me, I've gotten to know all those wonderful guys on the men's board as well as our young women board. And it's really affirming and testimony building to see, first of all, the love that they have for the young men. The nurturing piece is not strictly relegated to the women. These men have so much love for the young men of this church and the young men of this world, and that's been really sweet to observe them. And then just to have a a different viewpoint. I mean, isn't that what we want? We want a variety of viewpoints as we talk about programs and tools and training and all the things that we do on those boards. So that's really has been a very, very fulfilling and rewarding job to do. And important, I think. I Mm -hmm. I love that there is a woman's perspective in addressing the needs. Oh, and I'm not the only one. There's somebody from the Relief Society board. There's somebody also from the primary board. So we've had several women in the young men meetings. That's fantastic. And it's been really great. And we've learned so much from them. I mean, it's really helpful for us to hear their perspective at their meetings. So that's been really terrific, I think. Mm -hmm. I imagine it brings a lot more unity. It does. I think that's exactly right. And such a great model of counseling. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also on the Messaging and Communications (laughs) Committee, and that's really fun I wonder why they did that. (laughs) I somehow get put in those roles, but I'm very comfortable in those roles, so I'm happy. I think words really matter, and what we say and how we say it really is important and critical that we make sure that those messages are really what the Savior would have us give. I think that's a perfect way to talk about the young women's theme, too, because that's recently been changed. And those words do matter. I mean, there's been very significant changes talking about our heavenly parents and these other words that are really significant. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, what impact do you think these changes are having on the young women? When you learn it for the first time, you might be an 11 or 12-year-old, or maybe if you had an older sister, you learned it earlier than that. But when you learned it the first time, you always have that in your heart. And then as it changes, at least that's how it's been for me. And then as it's changed, then you really hear those changes. And for me, the changes have been doubly wonderful because not only do I love the changes, but they make me stop every time because I know I'm not saying the same words. I'm saying something new. And why did they make those changes? I ask myself why and why do they matter and what do they mean for me? So when you talk about instead of I am a daughter of a heavenly father who loves me and we love him, and now we are I am a daughter of heavenly parents with a divine nature and an eternal destiny. There is a lot to unpack right there in that first little statement. Mm-hmm. And I love to think about that and mm-hmm. all the implications for me just as a daughter yeah. of those heavenly parents. Mm-hmm. I love that it talks about our discipleship. And if there's one thing that can unite us Christians, as Christian people of faith, it's that we all want to be disciples. And what does that mean? And what does discipleship look like for me as opposed to you 
or for somebody in another place where they live elsewhere, but disciples of Christ. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to strive to be like Him? So important for young women to know I can be a disciple. I don't have to wait until I'm an adult. It's not just reserved for certain types of people. Mm -hmm. I am a disciple and I have that responsibility and opportunity. So empowering. And you're right. Why wouldn't we try to be a disciple as early as possible? Because I think it shapes us in the most fundamental and foundational ways. And you remember things. And you remember your experiences with the Spirit as a child. So many people will go back, and if they had in their youth or in their teens, if they felt the Spirit, then they go back to that all through their lives. And so if you can feel like you are part of that battalion, right, that battalion of Christ's disciples, and that's a very empowering piece, I think, from an early age. I also love that the young women's theme talks about cherishing the gift of repentance. And I don't think this was anything except for my misinterpretation of it as a kid growing up or whatever, but I always felt like repentance, ah, that was kind of like, oh, you did something horrible, so you have to fix it, Mm -hmm. so fix it. But this theme has totally reshaped how I think about and talk about and contemplate repentance. Now it is a shiny, beautiful thing that we want to do. It's a gift. It's a Mm -hmm. gift we should rush to utilize every day. And what it does to make you feel better and cleaner and stronger and empowered, I mean, what a gift Mm -hmm. repentance is. And I love that that is part of the theme. And so much hope Mm -hmm. that every day we just get to keep trying. You remember the theme that you learned first, right? So then when you go back over it with a different iteration, you really stop and think about what those differences mean. I remember so well, several years back, I was able to go to the point of the mountain in Utah and go teach the women at the prison. We did two sessions, one in the minimum security and one in the maximum security. And so when we went in to teach, it was me and another sister, and we went in to teach a lesson. And I had kind of worried about, you know, what would I say? What is a message of hope to women who are incarcerated in maximum security? Mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what to tell them. I, I really struggled over that. I wanted to give them a message of peace or a message of hope. So we got in there, and it was so interesting. Keep in mind, most of these girls had been raised in Utah. Mm-hmm. And so there they were at Point of the Mountain, and we started off with a song. And we said, we're going to sing, I am a child of God. And there were nods all around the table. And we sang, I am a child of God. And they knew the words. And tears began to just flow down the cheeks of everyone in that room. And it was a moment I will never forget. We were the same. Those women and me, we were the same. We were daughters of God. And maybe I had had a far less degree of difficulty life that landed me in my seat and them in theirs. But it was only a decision or two different. And we were the same in God's eyes, and He loves us equally. Heavenly Father loved us all the same, to the very same degree, and He saw capability and possibility in all of us. So then we started talking. We had our lesson, and then I said, you know, I'm in Young Women right now, and we say the theme, and let me tell you about the theme because I think it's an empowering message for all of us, and especially for women and for you. And I said, it starts out like this, and you know what? Most of the women around that table— started saying the words with me. And they knew the words to that. And again, I was just so struck with one or two little decisions kind of gets you on a different path, but the message is the same, that we all were daughters of Heavenly Father around that table. And again, the tears were just streaming down cheeks as we said those words together. And it was much more powerful for me, probably, than them, 
But I walked away loving my sisters in a new way and looking at them in a new way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't me, them, us versus you. It was us, sisters, daughters of heavenly parents. That's fantastic. Ruth, I love hearing from members of the General Advisory Council's Just because I love hearing how much is going on, like kind of behind the scenes for women of the church. And I just can't help but think of, as we're talking about women making different decisions and being on different paths, that's the world that we live in right now. Then I'm just wondering if there is anything else you would say to sisters who might be feeling discouraged in their testimonies or might be questioning what level of participation they want to have in the gospel. And I just would love to hear what Mm -hmm. you would say to them. Well, first of all, I love them. I have learned through my life that the sisterhood we share in the gospel crosses all kinds of boundaries and barriers. And we are there to lift each other and help each other. And sometimes we're down and sometimes we lift others who are down, but we are in this together. We need to cheer for each other. We need to know that there is success enough for everyone and success enough for everyone's children to go around, that we can be each other's cheerleaders and each other's children's cheerleaders as well. But for us as individual women, I think of those conference talks that tell us, stay by the tree. When you are in a place of discouragement or a place of doubt, know that you're not alone. And know that people that you look at, that you think are just have the world by the tail, they have been there themselves. Or they may be there now. right Mm -hmm. now. Right, exactly. (laughs) And that's why we need each other. But for me... If I will keep the fundamentals in place and not stray while I'm trying to ask questions, I told you I'm a natural questioner, Mm -hmm. a curious girl. That's how I came into the world. And so I've had lots of questions and I still have a lot of questions, but I always want to ask those questions from a platform of faith, a place of faith, a place of belief. And I get better answers that way. And I know I do. So, you know, hang in there. And like I said, give yourself some slack and know that you are not alone. And don't forget the fundamentals. Keep asking. If you feel like the heavens are close to you, hang on. Stay by the tree. The morning breaks, the Mm -hmm. shadows flee. Sometimes it takes a long time, but Heavenly Father's timetable is perfect. And sometimes you don't know that until you look back at it. I think we need to always remember the admonition of not judging others and knowing that we don't know what's going on with other people's lives. What we might know is that they might need a hand. They might need an arm around their shoulder. They don't need a raised eyebrow, and they don't need a sharp word. They need love. Mm -hmm. And we need to love each other. And when we love each other, I think that we see clearer anyway. And I think that we see our own paths clearer. And you know what? The great commandments are love God and love each other, right? I think that's such valuable counsel to keep asking questions and be okay with questions and to be okay with where other people are on their paths. Ruth, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and your insight. Before we wrap up today, we'd love to give you the opportunity to share anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners or with the women of the church. You know, life is long, and some people who seem like they are not in a great place with church, that's okay. Let them be on their own path. Life is long, and they'll figure out where they want to go. And our job is to love them. And our job is to not judge their path. I think that what is so beautiful about the gospel of Jesus Christ is that each person gets to walk their own path in their own time. But if we will try to hold the hand of the Lord as we do it, we won't go astray. 
and we will have joy as we go along that path. Sure, hardships, sure, bumps in the road, for sure. That's part of it. You don't talk to anybody that doesn't look back and say, I learned more from my hardship than I did from the easy path. But I just think that it's all part of why we are here. One of my fundamental beliefs is that the Lord has his arm around his daughters. He is there for us. He will bless us when we call. We may not see it, we may not hear it, but I believe he's there, and I believe we'll be able to look back and see it. Ruth, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate how open you were with your experiences and the things that you've learned. So thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight and to so be here. And so fun to meet you. Thank you it's so much. It's nice pleasure. to meet you too. Yeah. I have to meet your children one day. They sound <laughs> awesome. <laughs> they have their moments. <laughs> Don't we all? Yes. Yep. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ruth Todd and that you've been enjoying other episodes of the podcast. We love hearing from you. We take your feedback to heart. So feel free to contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any feedback or ideas and love to see reviews as well. So leave us a review. Let us know what you're enjoying, what you'd like to hear more of. And make sure to share. If there's someone that you think about when you're listening to these episodes, you can share us anywhere you get your podcasts. So check them out, subscribe, and let us know what you think. We would also love to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and many others who support this podcast. Until next time, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.